Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months. He just came over a few weeks ago. And what I love about Pestex is that they are locally owned. They use pet-friendly products. Most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's pest problem and find the best way to solve it. Now, the weather's cooler, but the fleas and ticks and mosquitoes of summer will still last deep into fall. So there's still time to get control of those. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Carpet Tech online at carpettech.com, to Champion Barbecue Supply online at championbbqsupply.com, to Amarillo Symphony, which you can find at amarillosymphony.org, and to Amarillo Little Theater online at amarillolittletheater.org, and that's theater with an R-E. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is the Reverend Margie McNear. Now, Margie is one of the oldest guests I've interviewed on Hey Amarillo. She's 83 years old, she admits it, and she's a longtime minister with the United Methodist Church. Margie spent most of her career in the Metroplex area, but she came to Amarillo after she retired from ministry, and we talk about that in this episode. But we also discuss the broader issue of churches nationwide, which are disaffiliating from the United Methodist Church denomination, largely because of an internal struggle about acceptance of same-sex relationships. And over the past couple of years, that trend of disaffiliation has come to Amarillo. And so after it became clear that Amarillo would no longer have a United Methodist Church, Margie took the lead in starting one. It became Amarillo United Methodist, and it was chartered just a few months ago in June of 2023, and the church is growing. Now, again, Margie is 83 years old. She's not great at being retired, which we discuss. So here's Margie McNear. Margie McNear, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you. I know that we have a lot of things uh, that we can talk about, church-related things, uh, UMC things, your career, all that stuff. But I want to start, like I do with all my guests, and ask how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. That's an interesting story, sort of. Um, my husband and I have lived three different areas of Texas. We were born on the Gulf Coast. We lived in the Dallas area beginning in 1968. Okay. My husband retired from his work in 2001. I retired in 2002 from uh, being a Methodist minister active in clergy. And so from that time until we moved out here in 2014, we lived in McKinney, Texas. Okay. We are older, senior citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been retired for 20 years. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, in my age, we'll get it out of the way because in doing all these podcasts and these uh, articles on the church, my age always seems to come up. Okay. So I'm 83. All right. And so being that age, in our uh, late 70s, 80s, when we moved out here in 2014, we moved out here because we have a son who is a surgeon here in Amarillo. Okay. 
and we say he inherited us in our old age to take care of us. Or our other two children voted that he got us. Okay. And so that uh, being that he was a surgeon, his schedule not so flexible if we had medical issues come up and not as easy for him to come to the Dallas area, we decided we would make the move. He was encouraging us to move to Amarillo. And we decided while we were still uh, somewhat young enough, somewhat had our minds intact, and it was our decision that we would move to Amarillo and we would make whatever life we made for ourselves for the rest of our time here in Amarillo. Okay. Well, so the first question I want to ask about that, and and I'd like to go back to your career in a second, but tell me about like having lived uh, in the Gulf Coast, having lived in Dallas Metroplex area for so many years, what was it like retiring and moving to Amarillo? Did it provide what you thought you were getting besides just proximity to family? Well, we have been to Amarillo visiting. Our son has been here over 20 years. Okay. And so we had been here visiting back and forth from the Dallas area in Amarillo every once in a while. But we had never looked at it through the eyes of living in Amarillo. So we, when we decided to make that move, we came out a couple of times and explored Amarillo through the eyes of what it would mean to okay. live here. It had trade-offs from living in the Metroplex area, one being a lot less traffic out here. All right. And the trade-off for me as, uh, I guess, a woman, and so, there, wasn't, there wasn't as much shopping out here or mm-hmm. variety that I had in the Metroplex area for grocery stores and that sort of thing. And, um, and we did not know anyone, really. We knew our son, and we had met some of his friends. But we did not know anyone our age, particularly, who was out here. And we didn't know how that was going to play out, how we were going to create our own life here in Amarillo. That's hard enough to do as an adult. Mm-hmm. I would think as someone who is retired and moving to a mm-hmm. new place, you don't have a workplace where you're necessarily going to meet people. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that has some challenges to it. It does. And because... Um, a lot of people who have children, they have an entry into that uh, group of people. They have uh, sports activities, they have school activities, and, and we had none of that. All of our grandchildren were grown adults, so we didn't have their activities or in, in that respect either. Our son and his wife had their own life out here. Sure. So we laid out a couple of ground rules when we moved out here. One was that... Uh, we did not have to go everywhere with them, and they did not have to go everywhere with us when we moved out here. And the second ground rule was that he was only to help make our medical decisions and nothing else about our life. All right. And so uh, with that, we just were determined that we were somehow going to find our way in Amarillo, and we had no, absolutely no clue how that was going to happen. But we just up, sold our house and moved. So I imagine once you determine, okay, we're going to find our way, you you seem like the kind of person who's going to make some pretty intentional decisions mm-hmm. about here's how I'm going to meet people or mm-hmm. here's how I'm going to get involved in the community. I mean, right. did, is, is that accurate? Did you do some specific things to try to build a life here? Well, being um, a clergy person, um, the, our first concern was to find a church home here in Amarillo. And as it turned out, um, at that time, I knew the senior pastor at Polk Street United Methodist Church. He and I had served together in the North Texas Conference when he used to be in the Dallas area. 
So we contacted him before we moved out here. And when we were out here on one of our trips, we met with him and his wife. And um, he assured me that pretty quickly I could would find myself and my husband would find himself involved in Polk Street United mm-hmm. Methodist Church. So that was really our first entree into getting to know people our age was attending that church and my husband ultimately joining that church. And I became involved in ways that I never thought I would have uh, when before I moved out here. Okay. When, when a retired clergy member joins a church like that, do suddenly they begin finding things for you to do, ways for you to volunteer and get involved? Absolutely. Because you know how to do stuff. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And so within the first month we were here, he asked me to start uh, attending their, their staff meetings just to give my opinion or to mm-hmm. observe and, and um, knowing I had served in, in a larger church in the Metroplex area. We, it was a church with about five to 6,000 members. Okay. So, and I had been executive pastor at that church. And so, so um, he just asked me for my opinions about things. And so I, I began to attend the staff meetings. And then within the first year, I was asked to start um, help form some programs and then to teach Sunday schools and to do Bible studies. And, and um, before a year or two had passed, I found myself on staff part-time and then uh, by 2017, I, f- I was asked to be the executive pastor of Polk Street United okay. Methodist Church. And um, and so I said yes. And it was unusual because I, uh, I don't know if you know a lot about Methodist clergy and that we belong to specific conferences. Right. And I belong to the North Texas Conference, but at Polk Street in Amarillo is part of the Northwest Texas Conference. So I was not a member of their conference. I was not appointed by a bishop to serve in that church, and it was just uh, that senior pastor and the congregation that asked me to do that, and so I said yes. You don't seem like you were very good at retirement. You you found a way to continue working, or people drew you, saw your skills, and, and kept drawing you back out right. of that. People have accused me of failing retirement yeah. several times, and and. And so, yes, I'm not. I'm apparently not very good at saying no, mm-hmm. and I'm not very good at, at just being retired. But within the church world, you know, that, that's one of those places where a small number of people get the most <laughs> amounts of things done. And I know churches, once they find somebody who, you know, has that sort of skill, um, mm-hmm. has that competence, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know that that's such a precious commodity there. Mm-hmm. So apparently you, you had it and they saw your value. I guess, <laughs> or else God has a funny sense of humor sometimes <laughs> about, <laughs> about what we think is being retired and what God thinks of being retired. And um, I, I look back at the stories in the Bible that used a lot of senior citizens That's true. To, to carry out the ministry that God had planned for them. And um, I honestly, on our way out here, if, if someone had whispered in my ear, that that was be, going to be the path we would find to uh, find our life in Amarillo, I would have just laughed <laughs> like Sarah did. <laughs> I would have just laughed um, because I, I did not in any way think how that was going to play yeah. out here. And Sarah, according to the Bible, Bible was a yeah, lot right. lo- older than 83 right. exactly. at that age. Um, <laughs> tell me about your career. Were you someone who always wanted to go into the ministry? Because as we were having a discussion before I started recording, like 
there's not a lot of female <clears throat> clergy here in Amarillo. Um, you know, it tends to be a, a male-dominated job. And so how did you end up entering into that field? Well, it, it was later in life. Okay. Um, I, when I uh, graduated from college and we married and we had our children and, and I did various things. I taught school for a couple of years. I um, worked in um, school activities with our kids and, and PTA work and all that kind of thing. I worked, We were always part of a church, so I was always involved in the activities of the church. And I was teaching classes. And so the year I turned 40, I decided that I would uh, go to seminary to get a two-year Christian education degree okay. and become a professional in the Christian education area of, of the church. And that summer before I entered seminary at Perkins School of Theology, um, in that summer before I was going to enter in September of 1980, um, I, I was asked to teach at a Southwest Texas Conference School of Missions in the Kerrville area. And I went, and there was a, a woman pastor there because, like you say, I've, I've had not been exposed to many women pastors in my growing up time or... Uh, generally women that are my age, your choice is with secretary, nurse, or teacher. Right. And so I had not been exposed to women pastors. And um, and so she and I, during that week of that school, had uh, some deep conversations. And I told her that I was going to be going to Perkins School of Theology to get a two-year degree in Christian education. And as she talked with me, she said, I really think you need to think and pray a lot harder about it because I think you were called to ordain ministry. Hmm. And so I told her I would. And um, on the way, uh, my husband had been with our children in Galveston with our visiting our parents while I was at the school of missions. And so at the end of the week, he came back through uh, the Kerrville area to get me and head up to Dallas. And on our way up back up to Dallas, we had a conversation, and I started it out saying, what would you think of uh, Reverend and Mr. McNear? (laughs) (laughs) And and he didn't say anything for a few seconds, and he finally just smiled and said, I think you finally decided what you were going to be when you grew up. Hmm. And so I came back and uh, changed my enrollment status to the four-year seminary degree at Perkins School of Theology, and started in the fall of 1980. Okay. Did you face any opposition or challenges being uh, a woman who was pursuing ministry at that time, you know, early mm-hmm. 80s, mm-hmm. Uh, when there were so very few? Like, was was that something you had to push against a little bit? A little bit. In enrolling in Perkins School of Theology, they gave, of course, scholarships. You could apply for scholarships. And... Um, the financial office um, decided that I should not get a financial aid scholarship because of my husband had a full-time career job, okay. and and I was told I could some pastors sold their houses and even to be able to enter seminary, and I was pretty determined I was not going to do that. So I I had talked with my parents. My parents were still alive, and. Um, and so my father said, you're going to go to seminary. I'm going to help you go if you can't get the aid because uh, I think this is exactly where you 
belong. And he also said, and it makes me feel young to say I have a daughter still in college. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, all that worked out. I began seminary. Um, there was a little pushback occasionally. Uh, I was asked during my time in seminary to preach uh, or to teach at, at a local United Methodist church. And one in particular, um, I went and I gave the sermon, and it happened to be Communion Sunday. After the service, uh, a woman came up to me in the sanctuary. Most people had left the sanctuary. But she began to berate me for thinking that I could be a woman pastor and told me that I, accusing me that I knew better about God's plan than God did, hmm. tried to be that, and that uh, I should not be that, and, and quoted me off the verses about uh, women and being silent in the church. Of course, she, was she the, wasn't being very no, silent. She though. was in the middle of the sanctuary. <laughs> and the, the pastor of that church came up and asked what was going on, and she told him. And so he asked her if she really believed that, and, and she said yes. And so uh, he said, well, from now on, I want you to be silent and to ask questions only through your husband at the church. And, of course, she left and didn't come back to the church. Well. <laughs> and so so occasionally I, I ran into that, but not very often. Most of the time it's been very positive, people um, accepting me, um, blessing my ministry. And um, and I just always assumed that I, I, I could do what I could do. I, I'm interested in the fact that uh, not only um, your original mentor, you know, when you were thinking about going, but like your husband and your parents, like don't seem to have really batted an eye when you said, this is what I'm going to do. So they saw something in you too. Right. Do yes. you feel like you had maybe a personality or your gifts were just conducive to that sort of career? I think maybe that it was all along. I remember when I was about maybe six, five or six years old, um, I found a dead baby bird in the backyard. And my neighbor friends, we were playing and we found this bird. And so I got a box and put the dead bird in the box and I dug a little grave, and I made all my friends get around, and we had a funeral for hmm. that bird. And so when I look back, I thought, well, maybe that was my, yeah. <laughs> that was part of who I was. And then, like, the churches that I was at over the our years before I went to seminary, different churches that we where we lived and been at, the pastors always seemed to seek me out to teach or to uh, help sometimes with special uh, counseling sessions or to... Uh, just speak at different thing at different occasions that I was called to speak at. So I think that God saw in me things that I didn't see in myself, and there wasn't an avenue that was obviously open for me to do that that I knew about until the time came hmm. to go to seminary. So I'd, I'd like to jump ahead a little bit and talk a little bit about the past few years here in Amarillo, you know, which have occurred sort of at the end of your career or the revitalization of, right. of your retirement. Um, but I know that it's been a turbulent few years mm -hmm. within the United Methodist exactly. Church, and, and one that you'd spent, you know, 40-plus years now serving mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. For people who are outside that tradition, and that includes me, kind of explain what has been happening uh, in the wider UMC, and then kind of talk about what the impact was here in Amarillo. Okay. Um, in 
in our denomination, we have what's called the Book of Discipline, and it is the polity of our denomination. It, help, it contains the core beliefs of our denomination and the structure of our churches and just the, the way they are governed. And that's been our governing book or document since John Wesley's time back right. in the 1700s. And, um, and so in 1972, there was a, uh, a three phrases added to the Book of Discipline. And they all had to do with the issue of homose- uh, homosexuality. One of them uh, stated that uh, homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. One of them stated that active people who were participating uh, of homosexual persuasion could not be ordained, nor could they uh, be married, and that pastors could not perform same-gender weddings in the church. So. After that was passed at the General Conference, which meets every four years to um, to add to or take away some parts of the discipline, some parts of the Book of Discipline cannot be changed, but there are other parts of it in the governing polity of it that can be. After that was added in 1972, it became controversial from almost the moment it passed. Yeah. And so every four years when the General Conference would meet, there would always be a... Um, that would come up, and there would always be controversy centered around it, uh, more so at the general conference than at any local church or any uh, local conference level. People weren't necessarily carrying around the Book of Discipline no. to church on Sunday along with their no. Bibles or anything. No, no. In fact, probably very few <laughs> United Methodists have ever sat down and read the Book of That's Discipline. That's probably true. And most clergy are only doing it because they're forced to take a polity course in seminary and when they want to find something <laughs> and see how it, what it says in there. So... The years went by, and some years, sometimes it was more volatile than other years. And so in 2016, it seemed to come to a head. And I think the reason it came more so to a head by that time had been that two or three years before that, when the Supreme Court ruled that um, same-gender weddings were legal in all 50 states. Right. And so that changed a lot within um, the, that community, the LBGTQ community. It also began to uh, change views some in the church. And so when the 2016 General Conference was held, there was uh, a resol- there was a, an amendment or a, a change brought forth to be in the dis- a resolution to take that language out of the discipline. And it ended up not passing. And so then in 2019, uh, there was a special call conference because between 2016 and 2019, some churches were happy about the language being left in. Some churches were disturbed about the language being left in. And it was just becoming more uh, more of an issue that came to the forefront, which also mirrored a lot of things that were happening in the culture right. of the United States. So in 2019... Uh, a resolution was passed at that special call conference that churches who disagreed uh, with with the stance or or wanted a stronger stance, in essence, would be a more correct way to say it, wanted pastors who uh, had maybe uh, been participated in some de- same gender weddings and had been had fi- uh, complaints filed against them, but they they did not believe the the correct uh, 
you want to say punishment had been uh, meted out to those people. Okay. And the bishops were just like uh, people in the church. Some some stood for it, some stood against it. Some were more strict than others, depending on where you lived. And so, uh, and so this uh, special paragraph was passed where if you wanted to withdraw from being United Methodist, then um, a path was laid out in which you could do that. And it was, uh, and part of the path laid out was where in the United Methodist denomination, uh, you, the local church does not own their church. We pay for it and we buy it, but the church is a larger are, organization. Uh, yes, owns the, it. the United Methodist denomination owns it, and and that also comes from the time of John Wesley, and so um, and so a lot of churches wanted to uh, be able to have their own property. They wanted they they did not see the denomination moving more toward the conservative side. They saw more. Uh, toward the progressive, middle to progressive side. And so those who were on the conservative uh, or traditionalist side, it's called in the denomination, just had been working for a lot of years to move the denomination more to the conservative. And over the years, that had that just had not taken a right. large hold in the denomination. More people were kind of in the middle. Uh, you had the progressive sides and you had conservative sides, but the majority of the denomination was in the middle and so they were very frustrated with that. And uh, so they saw this pathway as a way to uh, withdraw with their property and to, uh, and to form their own denomination. Okay. So that's, so, but from that 2019, we had until, it's till the end of this year in 2023, uh, when uh, when churches began to process that, and it has to be completed by the end of 2023. Okay. And, and that paragraph goes away. And so as I understand it, you had a lot of churches that were withdrawing from the more conservative side because they saw that the denomination, the larger denomination, was not moving as mm -hmm. faster or not maintaining that traditional viewpoint. Exactly. You also had some who wanted it to move forward faster. Exactly. And they were withdrawing too. And so it's it was it was kind of happening on all sides of exactly. the political or cultural spectrum. Right. right. But what resulted is that almost all of the Amarillo UMC churches ended up <clears throat> disaffiliating. Is that accurate? They all did. Okay. Yes. And and in fact this Northwest Texas Conference has uh, had about 200 United Methodist churches in it. And that conference goes from uh, the upper part of the panhandle here down to uh, Abilene area, Midland, Odessa, and Abilene area. And and out of the 200 churches, as of now, almost 80% have, okay. have disaffiliated. Part of that, uh, I think, has to do with um, the region that this conference covers. It's, it's an overall more conservative political area. And... Um, and so many of the pastors that uh, either attended the 2019 conference or when they came back from that conference, um, they, they were pretty determined they were going to with, uh, disaffiliate and they wanted hopefully their churches to disaffiliate. And so they came back with that understanding and they began to uh, hold meetings within their churches, some of them as early as 2019, that... Um, that expressed that viewpoint, and 
met much of their congregations agreed with that that viewpoint. I was going to say, was it was it very controversial locally when those pastors said we think it's time to disaffiliate, or were most of the congregations in line and saying, okay, sounds right? I think there there were seven United Methodist churches here in Amarillo. The majority of them, um, because of their that two year period. By the time their votes came at the beginning of 2023, they had those people who did not agree had left those churches. Okay. So the percentage votes were high in those churches, with every church except Polk Street United Methodist Church. They had not, um, in that 2019 to end of 2022 period, they had not, uh, they had not ha- talked about it a lot. They had not uh, had... Uh, an education process that was put on in the church. Occasionally, a Sunday school class would ask me to come and talk about it, and I would I would give the facts on both sides mm-hmm. of the issue because it was not my place to try to sway a congregation one way or the other or an individual in that church one way or the other. So I would just present the traditionalists think this, the progressive think this, and and try to present the facts around what was coming up that ultimately would happen in a vote. So by the end of 2022, the last couple of months of that, the senior pastor that came to be at Polk Street United Methodist Church uh, decided to hold an educational process and that ultimately a vote would happen at Polk Street that took place at the end of January of 2023. And uh, their vote ended up being 75% to percent to disaffiliate and 25 percent to not okay. to stay united methodist so it wasn't an overwhelming majority but it was good enough that it, was, it wasn't close they so. had to have a two-thirds you had to have a two-thirds okay. majority to be able to disaffiliate and so you mentioned that you know by <clears throat> that point a lot of the church members who who wanted to stay had you know decided to had stepped aside or stepped away or, or kind of begun the process of moving out. And, and so I'd like you to talk a little bit about what happened with those who were left thinking, okay, we want to retain some sort of UMC identity here in, in Amarillo. Um, what happened at that point? Well, up until the vote took place at Polk Street at the end of January, there had not been any precise plan rolled out for people who had disaffiliated. And as I was at Polk Street, by the time that vote take, took place, I had re-retired in okay. March of 2022. And uh, I began to uh, understand that probably by the time the vote would come at Polk Street, it was going to be a, a close vote. It was not going to be the overwhelming vote that had been at the other churches. But I thought within my heart of hearts that probably Polk Street would would disaffiliate. And so I contacted uh, the district superintendent, one of the district superintendents in the Northwest Texas Conference that I had become acquainted with, and asked her if there were any plans with, within the conference to have a church in Amarillo or, or what would happen when there were no United Methodist churches here in Amarillo. Because my husband and I just kind of looked at each other and said, this would be the first time in our entire lives that we would not have a church home yeah. where we lived. And that just 
didn't sit right with me. <laughs> I just, I, I just, because church had always been a part of our our lives as a couple, our lives as a family, and and I just could not conceive of not having uh, a United Methodist Church for me as a United Methodist clergy person. Right. And so, um, and so the district superintendent assured me there were some plans, and that was probably like in the November December time range of twenty twenty two. So when the vote took place. Um, and I, we knew where it all shook out and stood. The people that were wanting to stay United Methodist, of course, were very upset. This in Polk Street, it it, um, it tore at, at relationships that had been years and years and years of and generations in the church for years and years and years of people, and and all of a sudden. The person that they had been in a Sunday school class with, attending church with, uh, maybe for 50 or 60 years, they discovered was on the other side, and they were on this side. And so it it was very, it was a sad, tragic time for the church in general, as it has been for the denomination. But as people would talk to me, I said, I would assure them there is a plan, and I'm going to find out about that plan. And, uh, And so I did. And then, uh, so in January, uh, uh, after the vote at the end of January, then the first part of February, I uh, contacted again the district superintendent, and we decided we would hold an informational meeting here in Amarillo for anyone who wanted to stay United Methodist. And there was another um, clergy retired person here, Lane Boyd, who had at one time been a, the senior pastor at Polk Street, and he's now the chaplain at the Craig, a senior center, okay. living center here in Amarillo. And he and I talked, and we decided that we would hold this informational meeting. It was hard to get out publicity about it, but we got a little bit out, and, and we knew that there was at least 25% of the people at Polk Street sure. that had wanted to stay in. It's a sizable number. Right, and so it, it was about 100 people. We got the word definitely to them. It was easy to get the word out to them. And we held this informational meeting, and we had no clue how many people would show up. And so one of the rooms at the Craig that he had reserved, a a meeting room that they had, held about 50 people if you were sitting pretty close together. That evening, 85 people showed up 30 minutes before the meeting even began. And we were astounded. And people from the conference office out of Lubbock had come up to the meeting. And so from that night, we uh, we began the seed and the formation of what ultimately would become Amarillo United Methodist Church. And that has happened just within the past, what, nine months, yes. 10 months? Yes. After that meeting in February, Lane Boyd and the Craig offered us the chapel to be able to use for our first worship service. So the first Sunday in March, we had our first worship service in the chapel at, at the Craig. That chapel holds about 60 people. We had 53 come to the first worship service. And by the second Sunday, we were filling up that, and we knew that we we didn't have any place else to meet. And so the second week into the third week, we got a phone call from a woman from uh, St. Luke Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. And she had; they had been following ours because their denomination had gone through that the same issue several exactly. years before. And so, she said, uh, "We we would like to offer you uh, an opportunity just to share our facilities 
if you would like to uh, come hold your worship services here and and become part of our building, not part of a denomination, right. but use part of the building. So we met with her. Their sanctuary holds about 150. And so by the first Sunday in uh, April, Palm Sunday, we held our first worship service at, um, at St. Luke uh, Presbyterian Church. And we are still there meeting. And we, uh, are, we were constituted as a United Methodist Church the first Sunday in June with 135 members. And, uh, and we average now in the upper 80s uh, in, in average attendance in worship. And so, and we have now started um, Sunday school for children, youth, and adults. And we have a full time pastor, Robert Burke, who was appointed and started July 1st with us. And we have a secretary, and we have just hired a part time choir director. So we are starting our a choir in the church, which for this Sunday will be their first Sunday to okay. sing. And it just seems God has provided. We never knew where it was going to come from, but before we actually were just wringing our hands and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Things showed up and people opened up and opportunities opened up for us. And what I love about it is that you're still sharing the space that mm -hmm. belongs to St. Luke Presbyterian. Yes. And so there's, you know, you're, you're not mixing the church congregations, but you're, you're sharing the space. And so right. there's a real ecumenical <laughs> vibe, I think, that is encouraging. You know, I, I grew up in... Southern Baptist culture, and there was not a lot of cross-denominational cooperation. No. You know, pleases me to see that. Right, it has. It's been wonderful, and in fact, we do share some some activities. Like on Wednesday nights, we're holding our activities Wednesday night live, and we have a fellowship meal, and we have a Bible study for children, youth, and adults. And St. Luke's congregation comes. We share that evening okay. together. Uh, I'm teaching a Bible study on that night, and I have. Uh, Probably half of the people are from St. Luke's and half of the people are from Amarillo United Methodist Church in that Bible study. And so, uh, and we have shared worship service on one occasion. And um, and so it's it's been a very wonderful experience for St. Luke as well as for ourselves because they are a smaller congregation and um, and they they know what we've been through. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's been a mutual, a mutual benefit to all of us. One of the, the questions I ask my younger guests from time to time is, <laughs> are you surprised you ended up in this career, in this place? And, you know, maybe that's somebody who's in their 40s or, or 30s. I haven't asked it of somebody who's 83, but <laughs> given the past, you know, 10 years of your life, retiring, coming to Amarillo, you know, the church disaffiliation, helping a new congregation, like, are, are you surprised at what the past few years have been like for you after landing here in Amarillo? Absolutely. I... I just to find myself on a podcast with you is is a surprise to me. Um, we, of course, we got publicity on two fronts, I think, because one was that we are the only United Methodist Church in Amarillo, a city of about 200,000. Right, yeah. That's and, significant at this point. Yes, and, and, we, and really there's only two other United Methodist Churches north of us in Panhandle. One was just constituted this past Sunday in Dalhart, and then there's one in Pampa. And so that, that has been surprising on, on that front. This is the only United Methodist Church. So that has made news articles. The other apparently is my age. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that Because each of the articles or each of the uh, panel discussions I've been on or Zoom things I've been on, that always centers around um, 
that that I was doing this at my age and stage in life. But um, to me, as I said earlier, there was no other choice. In my mind, I was not going to be without a home church. And I, I don't I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I was pretty determined I was not going to be without a home church. And that Amarillo would not have, they wouldn't be without a United Methodist voice in Amarillo. And I was pretty determined that was going to happen. And so that uh, led me, it's led me down paths that I would have never, ever dreamed going down otherwise. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the children entering kindergarten are ready to learn to read. This educational deficit at age five will negatively affect a child's performance all the way through school from grades one up to 12. So two years ago, StoryBridge launched the Dolly Parton Imagination Library Program to address this problem. And thanks to generous local donors, more than 6,000 children under the age of five are now registered and receive a new age-appropriate book in the mail every month at no cost to their families. Well, StoryBridge wants to expand this program. They want to reach more than 10,000 area children, and they need your help to do so. So to give or to get involved, visit storybridgeama.org to learn more. That's storybridgeama.org. Okay, I'm back with Reverend Margie McNair. Uh, Margie, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it's known for its educational programs. In fact, last year, Panhandle Plains served more than 21,000 school children. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, I know you've only been here about 10 years, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Well, my husband delivers Meals on Wheels. Okay. And occasionally I go with him, and his routes seem to be in the north and eastern part of Amarillo, north of I-40. And some of those neighborhoods we are in are very sad to mm-hmm. me. And I would hope 10 years from now that people who came to Amarillo could drive around any part of Amarillo and see neighborhoods well taken care of with trees, with houses uh, uh, taken care of, with yards taken care of, and that somehow the citizens and the churches and uh, the community would beautify Amarillo with the Western flair, with the purple sage and the things that make Amarillo Amarillo, but that it would look like a city that was well-loved. Okay. I I appreciate that perspective. I think we've made some progress on that in the past yes. few years. Yes. Um, a lot of the, the neighborhood plans have arisen with the understanding that for a long time those neighborhoods were neglected well, by the city. I mean, I, a friend yes. of mine told me once that when you know they were building in southwest Amarillo in the 80s, they were paving alleys, and there were still some streets in the North Heights that were dirt roads. <laughs> oh. You know, and and so the the discrepancy in the investment in different parts of town, I think, was was real for a long time in the city, and, right. and now we've started to remedy that, but it's it's such a slow process. Yes, yes. Okay. Other than wind, mm-hmm. what does this area have too much of? Dust. Well, it's related <laughs> to the wind, right? Right. It is. It is, uh, and it. It's surprising. It, it seems to me that uh, it somehow creeps in under the windows when the windows are closed and the doors are closed, and uh, and there just seems to be a lot of dust. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I don't I don't know anything that we can do about that. I don't either. <laughs> uh, other than endure it. Yeah. What does this area not have enough of? I don't think it has enough variety of, of grocery stores. Okay. Um, coming from the Metroplex area, I, there are a lot of uh, different kinds of grocery stores, uh, HEBs, uh, uh, Whole Foods, just a lot of different kinds. And and the stores are nice out here, and but there's not as big a variety as I was used to. So that's one thing that, it, it for me personally, it doesn't have an, enough of, and, and enough uh Department stores. Okay. For uh, and one particularly that I love that uh, is Belk, and I, I wish Amarillo would recruit a Belk department I, store here. I feel like there's there's a lot of other people that would stand with <laughs> you on that one. Okay. What's a local nonprofit that you love? Meals on Wheels. Uh, my husband, as I said, participates in that, and I think it's it's interesting that the past year they have started a new program with Meals on Wheels. The animals yes. for the pets, yeah. the animals, and I love that one. I do too. And and the director Susie Akers is a very close personal friend of mine, and uh, and so I love that charity and that um, and that they're uh, also they're getting ready to institute uh, pet care through the vet school, right? Yeah, and I think that's that is marvelous too. And so for, I think for the people, for the senior citizens, the people who uh, take or are a part of that program. It's a wonderful program, seniors. My mom used to deliver Meals on Wheels when I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. And so some of my earliest memories are riding in our station wagon right. with her as yes. we took meals to people's houses. And like the meals are so much better now than they were back then in the what, no. late 70s, yeah. early 80s. Yeah. Uh, yes. But it's an organization that's been part of Amarillo for a long, long time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Roasters. All right. Um, I, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I like their coffee. Okay. And, I have my cup with oh, you, me. Is, is there one that you uh, you go to more often? There's one on Sansi okay. that I've been to that's close to where we live. All right. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? I like Metropolitan. Okay. I, I like the atmosphere of Metropolitan. It's kind of the old uh, 1930s, 40s yeah. movies, black and white, and the food is good. And I just, I just like it. It just feels kind of comfortable and nice and yet a little bit upscale. Yeah, when you it go does. In. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Well, I have to say Greenways because I live there. And uh, the Wolfland area is one that I think is pretty. And and the area you live in, I've just discovered, and it's a pretty neighborhood also. And um, I think that the tree, I think the, the trees are what attract me in the Wolfland in, in this area. And uh, Eddie Scott, who developed the uh, Greenways, had that vision yeah. for us is we've had to plant trees every few feet along the, our sidewalks. Yeah, and the greenways is still relatively new, and yes. so the trees are younger. But yes. I, I really do look forward to seeing what it looks like in about yes. 15 or 20 years yes. as yes. as that plan kind of matures. Yes, yes. Okay, when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? About five years ago. Okay. I think it, that's been about five years ago. My niece and her family visited, and we went to uh, the Texas production. And we have been to that a lot of years. Even when we visited out here, we have been down to that production and enjoyed it and, and uh, drove around Paladora Canyon. And, and But we haven't been, I know, since COVID hit. Okay. And, all, and we just haven't been. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. <clears throat> so what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? 
Well, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say Amarillo United Methodist Church. For anyone who is looking to be part of, of a United Methodist Church, we hope that you will come and visit us on Sundays at 34th and Bell at St. Luke Presbyterian Church. But the other thing I, I really has caught my attention uh, in Amarillo is the Transformation Park yeah. and the future plans for it. Uh, we we know uh, Terry Good, who's with Guyman uh, Sanders, uh, group and uh, Laura and Joe Street right. who are a part of this transformation park. And that's really intriguing me. And I hope, I hope that what they have planned will come about and, and be productive and helpful in the homeless situation that I think is a big problem for Amarillo. It is. And, and the solution for it, transformation park is a, a public private partnership where you have churches that are involved, mm-hmm. you have the city government that's involved, you have mm-hmm. you know private donors. And so I think it's a really unique way to bring all the elements of the city together in pursuit of, of solving that problem. I do too. I do too. Uh, because uh, individual individuals or individual churches are not big enough to cover the enormous problem all over the country with that, yeah. but d- definitely here in Amarillo. Okay. Margie McNear, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Margie for the interview. She's been doing interviews with publications and podcasts all over the United States because of this topic and because people are interested in her age. Uh, You can find those with a little bit of Googling, and I would recommend you do that. You can learn more about the new church at amarillumc.org. Thanks also to Pestex Pest Control, StoryBridge, and to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast. And thanks to Angelina Murray for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, and so I appreciate it so much. And also because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Corey Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Patrick Burns, Cindy Graham, Wes Reeves, Josh Wood, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 321. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.